Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Oh, I am well. I think, although I'm having a bit of a bad day today. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Are you, are you okay? Um, I have, though. The good news is I have recently been able to change my car and I have gone from something that was in need of uh, CPR medical attention to something that's much better. But my uh, my previous car was a, a yellow, a yellow colour car. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but anyway, I'm sure you find it fascinating. But I'm, I always said it was part of my midlife crisis that I decided to choose this yellow car. Um, and uh, the thing is, though, and I didn't realise this until I started driving this particular yellow car, that wherever you are in the country, in the UK, um, as you're driving, if you cross and there's somebody else with a yellow coloured car of the same type, they wave at you and expect you to wave back. So whatever county I've been in, not that I've done a lot of driving recently, but I've had the car for a few years now, people just wave. And it it's actually quite lovely because you see this yellow car on the horizon and oh is it is it that type of car yes it is um and then you know you're going to be waving so in the in the old days when i would have a passenger in my vehicle who wasn't part of my family can i rem- actually remember that happening yes i think i can um they'd be saying oh who's that is that a friend gosh you know people um you know people all around the country no it's just people who are as crazy as I am. So that that's very good. But anyway, and would you believe I've just been contacted today by someone who said, um, love the podcast, really good. But actually, please, could you do it daily instead of weekly? And, and that's very kind and thoughtful. But my answer to that is no, because you have no idea how much work is involved in doing one a week. So doing one every day. Well, uh, that would be that would be a car crash waiting to happen, wouldn't it? And I'd be reviewing. You obviously couldn't get through all the books. So instead of reviewing four books in every episode or even one book, I'd just be reviewing a page or, or a paragraph. This this paragraph was really interesting. This sentence was fabulous. In fact, talking of sentences, 
a great response to the first sentence section we started last week. So we're going to carry on until someone says they don't like it. I'm I'm carrying on with it. So so there we go. Um, now, the lovely Facebook group, everybody's reading lots of wonderful books. We've got Laura, who's reading Playing Nice by J.P. Delaney. Love that book. Um, another Laura, two Lauras. Laura, uh, the other Laura is reading The Hiding Game by Naomi Wood. And um, we've got Caroline reading The Last Thing to Burn by Will Dean. That's an extraordinary book. Um, Johan reading Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. Great book. Debbie's reading The Janice Stone by Ellie Griffiths. Yes, love Ellie Griffiths. And guess what? There's another Ellie Griffiths book this week. Sorry, sorry about that. Oh, Julie is reading Exit by Belinda Bauer. I want to read that book. I've heard great things um, about that one. Jo is continuing her Daphne du Maurier stint and reading Jamaica Inn. Carol is reading The Search Party uh, by Simon Lelick. Mark is reading The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex. Uh, Leslie's reading The Nighthawks by Ellie Griffiths. Now, that's the one that's just come out recently and uh, I'm saving that one. Um, and Heidi is reading Drive Your Plough Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga. Now, I'm going to try and pronounce Olga's surname. Takazuk. There we go. Did it. Um, so I love it. Such a selection. I think Heidi wins the prize for the most original book title that she's reading. Drive your plough over the bones of the dead. Um, but also, if, if you're not having a great day, maybe not the book to read. But uh, who knows? So that's a lovely Facebook group. Now, what books are we covering today? I hear you say, let me tell you. We are covering The Dare by Leslie Cara, A Place Like Home by Rosamond Pilcher, illustrations by Carolyn Tomlinson and very lovely illustrations they are too. Uh, the Guest List by Lucy Foley, The Lantern Men by Ellie Griffiths and Grown Ups by Marianne Keyes. So quite a selection of books and um, as I say we, let's continue this theme of first sentence and the first book we're going to talk about is The Dare by Leslie Cara. Um, so let's do the blurb first before I do the sentence. Listen to this. Even though she was there when her best friend died, Lizzie has no memory of the accident itself. And it was an accident, wasn't it? Alice's friends and relatives seem to suspect Lizzie had a part to play in Alice's death. But Lizzie knows that can't be true. She would never have hurt Alice. Twelve years later, unpacking boxes in the new home she shares with her fiancé, Lizzie is finally beginning to feel she can move on with her life. But someone has other ideas. Twelve years is a long time to wait when you're planning the perfect revenge. Um, and I think that just sums up the book. It's a sort of a psychological thriller. You don't know exactly who's telling the truth, who's not, who to believe, what happened. Um, it goes back in time. So the 12 years ago. And as the book develops, you learn more about what happened. And um, and I, I did really enjoy it. Let me read you the first sentence. OK, are you sitting comfortably? Here we go. Here's the first sentence. It's a short one. She'd created a little altar on the chest of drawers in her bedroom. Uh, I really enjoyed that because Already, you know, that there's well, it feels like there's something 
wrong, something murky going on and uh, you want to know more. I just find it very interesting, these these opening lines. Um, so the dare is just coming out um, and Leslie Carr's already had great success with her other books, uh, particularly The Rumour. Um, which we covered, was it last year? Time flies when you're having fun. But we really are going to have fun now because I'm really pleased to say we're going to be talking to Leslie Cara about the book. So without me waffling on, let's talk to Leslie right now. So Leslie Cara, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really, really pleased you've invited me on. Thank you very much. Well, I had to. My goodness, the dare. What a what a great book. And I always say it's an obvious question, but I have to ask it. Where did you get the idea for it? <laughs> well, actually, the idea came to me when I was remembering a walk that my friend and I used to go on when we were about between the ages of about 11 and 13. And um, we used to we went we went on a public footpath across the countryside and there was an open crossing on this walk, a train crossing like there is in, in the book. Um, nothing untoward ever happened to my friend <laughs> or me, <laughs> thank heavens. Um, but, you know, we had such a great time on those walks. We we talked and talked as young girls do, as we still do now. <laughs> and um, we, we we sometimes got lost, but as long as we knew, we, as long as we could find our way to the crossing, we knew we could find our way home. Mm. And we absolutely loved sitting at the crossing and watching the trains go by. Because although we were 13 and we probably some of the time thought we were sort of very grown up and, you know, sophisticated, actually, we were still children, weren't we? And um, and we used to love hearing the tracks singing and vibrating before the train came. And so that sort of gave me the idea. And then, you know, of, of sort of having a walk of because t- t- 13 is a, is a difficult age. It's a it's a it's a tricky age, isn't it? Because you're on the cusp between childhood and being a young adult and then my friend and I we went back and did that walk um a few years ago really yeah we revisited our old haunts and we were quite surprised at how different it seemed it didn't seem so in the middle of nowhere because we're bigger now you know and there were houses built on the countryside and the train track you couldn't even get on the train track now because it was all fenced off there was a footbridge and so it got me thinking how our memories of our childhood are, are, you know, how they maybe they're sort of formed because of our preoccupations and our worries at the time and, and, and how, how things are very different, perhaps, from how we actually remember them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that just got me thinking about childhood and memories and and uh, and the idea of the dare came into being. <laughs> Fantastic. And when you then had the idea, the story, was it, did it come and and it was sort of complete in your mind or did it take more work and progression? I wish it had been complete. My (laughs) life would have been a lot easier. No, I just had the beginning, really. I knew that um, there would be a death. I knew that one of the girls would, I mean, that's not a spoiler because that happened, that's in the blurb, it happens right at the beginning. Um, I knew one of the girls would die. Um, and I knew that my main character would have epilepsy. Um, I didn't know exactly how it would end, um, but then I sort of, I played around with ideas and I, I came upon an ending and I thought, well, I'll, I'll use that ending. And that sort of was what I was working towards. That's how I normally like to work. I have a, a beginning and an end and a couple of plot points in between. And then I kind of discover what's going to happen as I 
After you're quite sort of freewheeled as you as you start plotting it, you you're not writing the plot in intricate detail. No, I'm not. I mean, I know a lot of authors do that. They have big spreadsheets, don't they? And they they write out a sort of summary of each chapter. I don't think I could do that. I have a very broad broad outline um uh you know just with some some of the plot points and I, I tend to actually when I've written half the novel I then do more planning because I can see what type of novel it's going to be and I think it's at that stage when I've written about 40,000 words that I start to map it out a little bit more. Do you have the, the thing that some authors talk about is that the, the book and the characters just take a life of their own does that happen to you or is it not as simple as that? That's a difficult question, but it's an interesting one. They do kind of, I mean, it sounds a bit weird to say they take on a life of their own, but they do surprise you. I think that's to do with the fact that when you're writing a novel, you're always thinking about it. Well, I am anyway. I'm. It's in my mind all the time when I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed, I'm imagining what's happening next and working out what I'm going to write the next day. And so I think that sometimes your subconscious manages to come up with things while you're sleeping, maybe, or while you're doing other tasks. And you find yourself writing something or a character says something and you think, oh, yes, that's exactly right. Yes, that because that ties in with that. And it all seems to fall into place. And you you didn't sort of come up with it on your own. So <laughs> I suppose that yeah, is a, yeah, that's happen. very interesting, actually. So it's not that the characters are necessarily speaking for themselves. It's just that you're sort of in the zone, in the groove. And as you say, your subconscious is working full yes. time. So it just seems that way, even yes. though it's it's you still controlling it. It's you still controlling it, but not all not all of it is in your control. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of thoughts and memories and ideas that we have that we're not consciously aware of. And, you know, that's why I think it's very important if you're going to be a writer, not to sit down and wait for inspiration, because you the inspiration comes from writing you know suddenly ideas will pop up and they fit they fit perfectly and you think oh where did that come from it did come from you but you didn't consciously plan it yeah and how do you manage the highs and lows of the story because it can't all be highs it can't all be action points or revelations how do you actually manage the flow of that um i think yeah that's something that i've sort of learned as I've gone along really because I you know I was trying to be a writer for many years before I was lucky enough to get an agent and a publishing deal and I think I didn't really study the craft of writing properly when I was starting off I my, my novels were meandering too much you know um I, I went to the Faber Academy course when I was sort of um in my 40s and I started studying books and studying how they, you know, the structure, because I think the structure is everything. Mm. And with the with the dare, the, the, it's told in um, two time frames, isn't it? It's past and present, and in fact, there are there are three time frames really, because the past um, has the before the accident mm. and after the accident. And I think once I'd hit on that structure, um, the story was much easier for me to tell. I hear such great things about the Faber course. In fact, of all the authors I've interviewed, that that's the main one that if they've used a course, it, it's been that one. It is. Does it have the winning formula? Do we all need to be signing up for this course? 
Do you know, I don't think it has a and any writing course has a winning formula. I think what it is, it's not it's not even about what you're taught, although, you know, the teachers are great, obviously, wouldn't they, they are um, of experienced writers who've had a lot of success in their own field and a lot of wisdom to impart. But I think it's more than that. I think it's being with a group of writers, 15 of you in the group and getting their feedback you know because they're 15 readers aren't they they might be would be writers but they're readers as well and they're reading your work and picking it apart and giving you know telling you what works and what doesn't work and that is invaluable and and you start to think ah yes right okay things that you didn't realize weren't working or that you thought were brilliant or, or, or dreadful you might you know there are things i thought were dreadful and people loved them and i thought oh so that's not dreadful okay and things i thought were great that didn't work so you, you you know you learn how to look at something with a reader's eye um that's that that so that's really that that, that was what the course gave me i think the the taking yourself seriously as yeah. a writer and, and help give you the confidence that what you were writing was good and that others rated it as well because you you have to um, apply to get on this course as well it's not just sign up it's you do and it does give you confidence because as a writer and even as a published writer even to this day you know you veer from thinking what you're writing is good to thinking it's a load of pants you know it that, that that's part and parcel of being a writer we we doubt ourselves one day we think we're doing well and the next day we think oh no this isn't working what am i doing <laughs> but yeah so having that support of other writers is 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 very very important i think yeah oh. Um, I love the title for Dare. It's so simple and yet it it conveys so much. Where, where did that come from? Um, I, do you know? I I think that my editor came up with that. I we came, we we struggled to find a title for this novel. The others, you know, the rumor sort of suggested itself. Really, yeah. I mean, I I think I came up. I think it was called. It starts with a rumor first, and then my agent said, "Let's just call it the rumor." You know, and of course, of course, yeah. yeah. And who did you tell? I that was actually the first one I wrote, although it was the second one that was published. That seemed to suggest itself because it was all about a confessional sort of, you know, AA philosophy and all that sort of thing, telling your mm. secrets to people. Um, but the dare, yes, I, I think the the working title I had when I first started was as if I as if I wasn't there. And then I thought, oh, no, that's not grammatically correct because it should be as if I weren't there. And I got into awful trouble with who did you tell? Because I got some people saying it should be whom did you tell? Not oh, who no. did you <laughs> so I thought, oh, I better not have another grammatically <laughs> dodgy title. Yes, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And I think titles are really important, aren't they? Because they are, in a sense, the hook, aren't they? They. Uh... Yes, absolutely. E even more of a hook than the sentence that that might follow it. It. it can convey so much and I love the cover as well are you ever involved in the design of the cover or is it more this is what we're planning to go with are you okay with it um I'm not involved in that way I mean they don't sort of say what sort of thing would you like on the cover Richard Ogle is the wonderful cover designer um at Transworld that's done all my covers and he will come up with something and and then which is usually pretty pretty damn good <laughs> And then they will ask me what I think of it. Um, so I imagine if I didn't like it, I, I would say, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never disliked one of the covers that they've come up with, to be honest. So 
he's such a good designer and he manages to sort of you know get to the nub of the the story so yes i'm consulted and i would pro they would probably listen if i if i really didn't like something i'm sure they would i'm absolutely sure they would but it's it's you know I, I'm not, I think the thing is, I'm a writer, not a designer. So what I think might work as a cover might not, you know, they know, they know what, what people want to see, what, what gets people, you know, picking a book off the shelf. So and I, I trust love, them. <laughs> I love the yellow spine as well. Very helpful when you've got rainbow coloured bookshelves. Yes, it's lovely. <laughs> it does. <have laughs> but it's, it's strange because Leslie, I I had in my mind that you had been writing and publishing books for a long time. I thought you were a, a 10 plus book author. And yet when I was preparing for this discussion, I, I literally couldn't believe this is your third book. I know this is my third novel. I mean, it, I, I've written more than three novels because I've got various, you know, unpublished novels um, yeah. festering away in boxes in various places. <laughs> you have, you know, such a standing in in the industry and, and you're very well known. I, I, yes, I just I was very surprised by, by Gosh, I, I, I get well, I, I, I don't. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I, yeah, I suppose it's because I'm a bit of a big mouth on Twitter. I'm always <laughs> <laughs> and I love social media so we should mention the YouTube as well because you do this brilliant um YouTube well it's a podcast as well with Lauren Lauren North who who we've ha had on before um and just remind me what it's what it's called it's called in suspense and um we, we yeah we, we it's available on YouTube it's also available as a as a podcast but we we wanted to sort of have a um a podcast or vodcast as we call it which focuses on on crime and particularly on psychological suspense uh novels so hence the title really yeah no that, that's great and before writing full time you were working in further education i believe was was that helpful was that sort of part of what makes you the author that you are now um <clears throat> yes I, I was a teacher for a long while and then a manager in education i think teaching yeah i mean i think a lot of creativity a lot of the creativity that i perhaps should have been putting into my writing went into my teaching um because you know teaching is a very creative profession you're having to come up with lesson plans so a lot of a lot of um that sort of thing gets poured into your your lessons mm -hmm. um but i think what teaching did give me was the confidence to stand up in front of people and talk um, so maybe that helps with the more social side of being a writer, you know, doing events and things like that. Um, possibly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. And I mean, I did my very first novel that my very first unpublished novel was actually, <laughs> it was about a, a cynical lecturer in further education. And that's probably um, why it didn't get published because it was too much about me. <laughs> too personal. Are you ever tempted to sort of blow the dust off? The, the unpublished books and uh, breathe some life into them well you know that there's always that sort of possibility i suppose they'd have to be radically rewritten i think <laughs> possibly i mean they, and they also were a different genre you know i'm now known for writing psychological suspense but um they were sort of gentle comedies i do i i would like to write something like that one day we, sh we shall see we okay shall... <laughs> what, what's this space so let's go back to, to book one when you first got published we're, we're always keen to hear the story can can you tell us how that happened 
Oh, that was amazing, actually, because as I said, I've been trying, I'd been trying for ages to get um, published and um, had sort of more or less given up, really. I I'd decided I'd carry on writing, but I'd sort of given up any hope of getting an agent or getting a publishing deal. And I went in for a competition. It was the Daily Mail Penguin Random House first crime novel competition. I think it had been running a, a year or so. And um, I went in for it, thought nothing of it because I thought I'd never win anything. The last thing I won was an Easter egg in 1974. I'm not going to win this competition. And I didn't win it. I was a runner up. Um, I was on holiday in Spain and I got a call from Luigi Bonomi, who is um, my agent's um, business partner, um, Amanda Preston, um, LBA Books. And he was one of the judges and he rang me up while I was in Spain um, on en route to the Alhambra Palace. It was already a lovely day and told me I was a runner up and I was so excited. I was literally hooping with joy. I couldn't believe it. And I think he thought I'd got the wrong end of the stick. He said, Leslie, you haven't won. You haven't won. I said, I know, but I'm so excited. <laughs> and then that's how I got my agent, Amanda Preston. And uh, and then we got a, a deal with Transworld. So I was, uh, yeah, I was very, very lucky, very lucky. Well, it, I mean, you know, I worked, I've worked hard. Yeah. I've worked, been yeah. trying to do this a long while, you know. But I bet you will never forget that moment when the phone rang. I will absolutely never forget it. It was the, it was one of the, well, I think it was probably the best day. Well, I can't say the best day. I've got to say the best day of my life when my children were born, obviously, but it was, it was a very, very close third to those two events. <laughs> yeah, Life-changing. Oh, in, yeah, it was. It was. It was, it was, and I think all the more thrilling for happening quite late in the day. Hmm. Um but yeah, it, it was an absolute roller coaster that year. It was fabulous. You know, I couldn't have imagined in my wildest dreams how well the rumor landed. I really, I really couldn't. It was, it was, it was brilliant. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, that's how I feel so desperately sorry for debut novelists who've come out sort of during lockdown, who've not had that sort of, you know, that the joy of seeing their books in shops and things. But uh, it's a long game writing, so they will, they will hopefully see their books in shops very soon. So three books in now, what would you say surprises you the most about the, the world of publishing? Well, I suppose I never thought, I, 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 all the time I wanted to be a novelist, it was all about the one book, getting an agent and getting a book published. Mm. But of course, that's just the very beginning. <laughs> you get the book published and then you're writing another one and then you have to write another one. And it's sort of, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say relentless because that sounds negative. I'm absolutely loving this new career of mine. I, I, I'm delighted to be, um, you know, where I am now and what's happening now. It's fantastic. But yes, I think it's, I didn't realise quite how much work was involved, you know, not just the writing, but the promotion and the admin and all the other things. It's It takes a lot of getting used to. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm lucky now. My kids have grown up, so I've got the time to dedicate to it. I do w wonder how people with small children and busy careers do it. I'm, I'm full of admiration for them because I'm, I'm not sure I, I could, you know. <laughs> so with this relentless, in a, in a good way. In a good way. In a, good in a way. very good way. I have to ask then, what's, what's next? Are you, are you knee deep in, in the next book? What's happening? I am. I think I'm shoulder deep in it. Actually, yes. I'm. I'm. I'm almost finished. I, I've. I've. I've got. I've got about. I've written about sixty-six thousand words. So I've got a little bit to go, um, but not too much. I'm in the. You know, the final stages of it. 
Um, I've got to deliver it by the end of March, so I better get a move on, hadn't I? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had. Um, it's 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 still a psychological suspense, and um, I don't have a title for it yet. It's tantalisingly called Book Four. Yeah, and it's um, it's slightly different from the others. It's it's written in the third person, not the first, and. Um, two characters, a woman whose aunt has just been brutally murdered and the other character is the funeral director, who a female funeral director who is arranging a service for the, the late um, aunt. And there's a missing person story as well, threaded through. So it's, I think it's probably my more, most ambitious so far in terms of structure. Well, that sounds fantastic. So Leslie, I better leave you because you need to get back and finish writing this book. It sounds, it sounds fantastic. So, Leslie Cara, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Philippa. Well, wasn't that interesting? Um, so now we come on to the next book, which is by Rosamond Pilcher, and it's called A Place Like Home. Um, um, sadly, Rosamond died, I think, in 2019. So um, it, it is a shame because it's the first book of hers I've ever read and and I loved it. So I want to go back and uh, and read some of her other books as well. Have you read any? Do give me some recommendations if you have of which ones are the best to, to go for. Um, but this is this is a gorgeous book in all sorts of ways. The cover's gorgeous. It's um, looking out from sort of an open window out onto the sea. Uh, you've got a place like home in gold. You've got this lovely bird in the distance. Um, and it's actually a collection of short stories. But if you're not normally a short story person, don't just discount this book, because what I felt is that the stories gave me a lot more than a short story normally would. So um, often I find I, I don't get to know the characters enough. I don't get to understand their situation enough. It's very short and brief. Obviously, it would be being a short story. Uh, who knew? Um but this gave me much more. I just felt much more involved. And I was always surprised. Gosh, have I, have I read the next 20, 30 pages? Uh, I was just caught up in the stories. It's a feel-good book, I would say. And there's nothing wrong with that right now, is there? Um, so if you're looking for the old serial killer, um, death, destruction, dystopian, then possibly not for you. But if you're looking for a present for someone... Um, I don't know, maybe an aunt or an uncle. Or, I don't I don't know why I'm even saying that. I'm just a friend, just an, a book that looks nice and that is nice um, and isn't going to cause anybody sleepless nights. Then I think I think it's lovely. And I adored the illustrations. They're done, as I said earlier, by Caroline Tomlinson. And I think they're beautiful. I could have those framed on the wall. Um, they're very simple drawings. Um, done presumably by pen and ink I I, I mean <laughs> I don't know I don't know one Crayola stick from another but I'm just saying I think it's pen and ink um, but they're done beautifully and they only help to add more I thought to the story to my enjoyment of the story so yes I thought that was a lovely book so A Place Like Home Rosamond Pilcher now the next book is called The Guest List by Lucy Foley now I'll admit, The Hunting Party was Lucy's first book. I didn't enjoy that. And so I came to read the guest list with deep suspicions. Um, it was chosen by one of the book clubs I'm in. So it wasn't one that I thought, oh, I've really got to read this. So I approached it with concern, I think we could say. I thought, oh, this really isn't going to 
be a great book. I'm going to find it um, confusing. That's what I found with the hunting party. I found it confusing, the different characters, and I just didn't get into the groove of it. Quite possibly my fault um, because so many people loved it. So it probably was my fault. But this I loved. And what really helped me is that in each section, when they're dealing with a different character's perspective, um, it's not just their name, but it's uh, Lucy includes their, their position. So this is about a wedding party. So you might have a chapter written from the bride's perspective, but you wouldn't just have the bride's name underneath. It will say bride or bridegroom, bridesmaid or wedding organiser, all these different characters. And that helped me because instead of me having to pause and think, oh, gosh, who was that again? Um, maybe it's me that's just really bad at remembering the characters' names. I, I, I'm a visual person. So if I go and meet people, obviously not at the moment, but in normal times, if I go and meet people, I won't be able to tell you what their name was, but I could tell you what their, what earrings they had, if they had, um, what colour nail varnish, uh, the shoes, the this, the, uh, it's the visuals for me. And so names are something, and it's, you know, it's when you meet someone and then you have to introduce them to somebody else and you're just thinking, I have no idea what your name is and I really need to somehow magic it. And whether you just try and cough a lot or I just now do that. Oh, you, why don't you introduce each other? Which is a cop out, isn't it? Anyway, back onto the guest list. Um, so it helped me keep pace. So I wasn't distracted and having to think who the character was. I could just keep going. And I think that really helped me. Um, let's read the let's read the blurb. It, it's pretty simple. Each has a secret. Each has a motive. Off the windswept Irish coast, guests gather for the wedding of the year. Old friends, past grudges, happy families, hidden jealousies. Thirteen guests, one body. One guest won't leave this wedding alive. Um, yeah. So let's read. Let's we do the first sentence on this one. This is. This is definitely a short sentence. The lights go out. Army, that's a cracker, isn't it? That really is. So I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And I really did enjoy it. So is it again one of those things where if the whole world has raved about a book and you pick it up and it's not that good, then you're disappointed. And because I came to this... I don't know, with really, really low expectations, um, I just thought it was really, really good. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking out for more of Lucy Foley's books. And maybe I need to go back and read The Hunting Party again um, with my positive pants on. And um, and maybe I'll, I will enjoy it more. Who knows? Do tell me if you've read both books, what, what you think. But I thought the I thought the guest list was a was a good story. So there we go. That's that one. Now the next one, drum roll. We should have a drum roll. We should have an Ellie Griffiths drum roll, really. I know I keep going on about her and I can only apologise. Um, but if she didn't write such good books, then then I wouldn't be. Um, this one is called The Lantern Men. It's the second to last currently in the series of Ruth Galloway. 
So the one that's out now, the latest one, is uh, the Nighthawks, um, which, as I said earlier, Leslie's reading at the moment. Now, I'm coming up to a time when I'm attending one of these reading parties, uh, which are great. I have to commend them. Um, they're great fun. So you go online, you book a ticket, you go online and you spend an hour. There's about 20 of you on Zoom with the author. You read their book out loud. You get to ask them some questions. And if you pay a bit extra, uh, they'll sign a, a book plate for you and you, you get that um, sent beautifully by Bert's Books in the post, all wrapped up with ribbons and everything. It's it's so different. And I can't imagine that the reading party would have been conceived out of lockdown. Um, but it just works so well. And the trouble is, once you've done one, you think, oh, actually, I'd like to do all of these and meet all these authors. And what what's also lovely is that the audience, you know, there are familiar faces each time we do one. You think, oh, I know, I know her, I know him. And it's it's like a little community. It's it's lovely. So anyway, long way of saying um, we've got a reading party coming up with Ellie Griffiths for the Nighthawk. So I had been trying to slow down my reading of the Ruth Galloway books, just keeping them for emergencies like, you know, Philippa, break the glass on this book. It's an emergency when things are really bad. But then I thought, gosh, what if we're doing this reading party and something comes out um, not giving the, the new book, The Nighthawks, away, but might give something away uh, as to what happens just before that book starts. And I thought, I, I can't discover anything on the reading party. I want to know myself beforehand. So I have now finished The Lantern Men and the next one is uh, The Nighthawks. So that that will be very interesting to hear more about. So back to The Lantern Men. This is the blurb. Everything has changed for Ruth Galloway. She has a new job, home and partner, and is no longer North Norfolk Police's resident forensic archaeologist. Then murderer Ivor March offers DCI Nelson a deal. March was convicted of killing two women, but Nelson is sure that there were more victims. Now March says he will reveal where the other bodies are buried, but only if Ruth will do the digging. March points them to a location in the fens said to be haunted by the Lantern Men, mysterious figures holding lights that lure travellers to their deaths. Like a Lantern Man himself, Ivor March has lured Ruth back to Norfolk. Now she and Nelson must work out why. Oh, it's just wonderful. Um, I loved the book. And just when I was being lulled into a sense of, oh, well, this is a simple and everything's fine then wham something else catastrophic happens and you're just right you know nobody talk to me I just need to finish this book and find out what happens um, no phone is allowed to ring nothing I just need to read. it's one of those books it just grips you um, I am realizing how much humor there is in the books but it's not it's not comedy writing but it's because you know the characters so well now um, you it just brings out more of that, more of their characteristics, really. I, I just loved it. So if you're into crime, even if you're into crime and you don't like things that are too nasty, um, I think Ellie Griffiths has a very uh, capable way of dealing with things so you, you don't have to be too squeamish. I think the first couple in the Ruth um, Galloway series are perhaps that require the most... Uh, tolerance of uh, of squeamishness, if that's even a thing. Um, but I think as it goes on, it, it actually gets easier. But that's probably as well because you know the characters more. And so your focus can shift from not just the crime, but 
to the character development as well. Um, yes, do, do get them. They are a joy. I have never come across a person that hasn't loved them. Um, so that there we go. That's quite a punchy statement, isn't it? But yes, Eddie Griffiths, The Lantern Men, fab. Fab, fab, fab. Um, and last of all, we have Marianne Keys, Grown Ups. Oh, that's, you see, it's a big book and it's so heavy. I've just dropped it. Sorry about that. Um, right. So let's do the blurb. They're a glamorous family, the Cases. Johnny Casey, his two brothers, Ed and Liam, and their beautiful, talented wives and all their kids spend a lot of time together. Birthday parties, anniversary celebrations, weekends away. And they're a happy family. Johnny's wife, Jessie, who has the most money, insists on it. Under the surface, though, conditions are murkier. While some people clash, other people like each other far too much. Everything stays under control until Ed's wife, Cara, gets concussion and can't keep her thoughts to herself. One careless remark at Johnny's birthday party, with the entire family present, starts Cara spilling out all their secrets. In the subsequent unravelling, every one of the adults find themselves wondering if it's time, finally, to grow up. Well, let's do the first sentence before what I said. Um, this is a slightly longer sentence, but it's not that long, so you'll be you'll be all right. Here we go. Johnny Casey launched into a fit of energetic coughing, a bit of bread down the wrong way. Actually, it wasn't that long a sentence, was it? Oh, I don't I don't know. I really wanted to enjoy this book. There's um the cover is lovely. I it's got this woman just lying flat down on the floor and, and she's just had enough. And uh, I think we can all relate to that, really. And I suppose it was that cover that made me pick the book up. I haven't read Marianne Keys for a long time. I remember reading Rachel's Holiday a long time ago, 22 years ago, 23 years ago. And I loved that, but I'd never been able to replicate, find a book of Marianne Keys that I enjoyed as much. So I just thought, well, this is this feels like it's going to be a book of our time. I like the thought that it's all these different family events. And so you get to know the characters through it. Um, now, OK, here's perhaps where I went wrong. And maybe I'm making a theme of this, but I listened to it on audiobook and read the book um, because I just sort of I started listening to it on audiobook and I wasn't getting anywhere. So I thought, well, reading the book as well would just help. Don't don't ask me how I managed to have both. But I did. Um, it's a long book. Let's let's ha look how many pages. 600. Um, now, Marianne Keys has a lot of fans and she she's a brilliant author. So I'm not knocking Marianne Keys. I'm knocking um, my myself, I suppose, because I didn't enjoy it. But I can't tell you why the book's the book's good. It's got the character development. It's got the family events. It's all, all of that. Um, Maybe it is that I'm not really into this sort of, do we call it uplift, this sort of book or female fiction? However we call it, maybe it's not my bag. Um, I suppose I do prefer things if there's if there's a murder in there. Um, and it just it just didn't work for me. I, I felt uncomfortable with some of the characters. And as I say, it's that's me. That's not the book at all. If you look at the reviews, people love this book and it's one of the top selling books. But um, for me, it didn't it didn't float my boat. But as I say, that's me and nothing to do with Marianne Keys, who is a superb author. And when I listen to her on interviews, I just think she's amazing. Um, but uh, clearly not for me 
at this time. Maybe it's one I'll go I'll go back to, hopefully. Um, so that's it. We've we've covered all the books. So we had The Dare by Leslie Cara. Uh, we had A Place Like Home by Rosamond Pilcher. Beautiful illustrations by Caroline Tomlinson. And um, we had The Guest List by Lucy Foley. The Lantern Men by Ellie Griffiths. And Grown Ups by Marianne Keyes. And of course, we spent some time talking to Leslie uh, Leslie Cara about the book, which was great. So that's it for this week. Now, if you like what you hear, and if you do, I don't know why. I'm so sorry, me waffling on and on and on. But if you like what you hear, two things. Number one, come and join us. If you go onto Facebook and type in the Quick Book Reviews podcast, you're bound to come up with that awful orange image of me holding a book please join. You'd be very welcome. You'd be among friends. Um, and also, if you like what you hear, it is unfortunately a time when ratings are everything. So if you do listen via Apple, if there's any chance you could go on and, and give it a rating, hopefully a nice one, please. Um, then that would be that would be amazing because it really does. You know, the five star ratings really do have an impact on how much they market the podcast. Um, and it's great that the numbers are going up. But, you know, the more people we get, the more authors we get to interview, all sorts of things. Um, so it would be great if you could do that. And I'd be very, very grateful. So uh, that's everything for today. We've had great books. We've had a great author. Uh, we've had great fun. Well, I hope you have. I certainly have. Always feel better after uh, talking to myself <laughs> and hoping that you... That's terrible, isn't it? I think I'll end there. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you again very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.